You're listening to On Human Rights, where we bring you interviews from experts around the world on the latest and most interesting trends and information on human rights and international humanitarian law. My name is Sarah Kadar, and we are broadcasting from the Raoul Wallenberg Institute in Lund, Sweden. Today, we are hosting Petra Totterman Endorf to discuss women, peace and security, and more especially the 1325 resolution of the Security Council of the United Nations. Petra is a real expert when it comes to women's rights and advocacy. She has been the Secretary General of Women International's League for Peace and Freedom, also the International Coordinator for the same organization in New York. And she has been working for the Kvinati Kvinak Foundation since almost eight years now. Since June 2018, she is actually the current Secretary General of the Foundation. And today she's meeting with us online, of course, due to the pandemic, so that we can discuss what is a relatively unknown topic. So women, peace and security and the 1325 resolution. Thank you for being with us today, Petra. And if you could briefly tell us, before we talk about the resolution, about the Kvinati Kvina Foundation, its goals, main guidelines, and uh, yeah, its way of working. Yes. Thank you very much, Sarah, for that introduction, and thank you for having me. Well, uh, the Kvinati Kvina Foundation started in the 1990s, in 1993, and it was a protest movement against the situation for women in the wars in Bosnia and the Western Balkans and the reports that started to come about the violence against women and the sexual abuse and the rapes. After a couple of years, uh, we became a registered foundation and an organization with a mandate to support women's rights focused on conflict-affected areas. Since then, we have grown quite a lot. Today, we're working in 20 countries in four regions in partnership with over 150 women's rights organizations. And by supporting them, women's rights organization and women human rights defenders, we work for the full participation of women in society. We focus on working against gender-based violence. And both of these things combined as leading to sustainable peace as the end goal. All right. That, that seems really an interesting work to do. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so to give a bit more of context and as I assume due to the work that you're doing the UN resolution of 2000 the 1325 resolution was pretty much of a big deal for the organization could you just tell us a little bit more about the objectives of this resolution and which issues it was meant to address yes thank you and you are right uh, resolution 1325 has been a big part of Kvinati Kvinna's uh, history and current work as well. And we were one of the organizations that contributed to the writing of the resolution with one of our reports uh, that we submitted. So resolution 1325 and the Women, Peace and Security Agenda constitutes of the UN uh, resolution that commits all UN member states and the UN itself to have a gender perspective on their work for peace and security. There are four pillars in the agenda, participation, protection, prevention, and recovery 
relief and recovery. So the first resolution, the groundbreaking resolution was 1325 and came into year 2000. And since then, there have been a number of resolutions that have come afterwards and together these constitute the so-called Women, Peace and Security Agenda. And those resolutions have focused on sexual violence and conflict, women's participation and representation, more effective implementation, and the role and importance of civil society. And as I said, in, in 2000, the adoption for 1325 was strongly driven by the global women's movement, which had been lobbying for this to make these linkages between peace and security and a gender perspective and women's rights for a very long time. And I would say that in the 20 years that have passed since, mm -hmm. it has been an ongoing negotiation about what should actually be included in the agenda and how should the agenda be developed. And from the perspective of the women's movement, and what 1325 meant to address was the militarized world order. So Resolution 1325 was to instead bring perspective of human security, demilitarization and inclusive peace building to the discussions on peace and security among world leaders. So in short, you could say that the idea was not to make war more safe for women, but to end all wars. That is a great objective, a pretty big one. A pretty big one, yes. <laughs> An ambitious one, but important. And I, I don't think it hasn't become less relevant over the years that have passed since it was adopted. No, that's for sure. So mm -hmm. if, we, if we summarize, can we say that the three main goals or objective of the agenda was to first integrate gender perspectives into peace agreements, then to protect women against sexual violence in the context of conflicts, and third, to involve women in their adoption. Could we, could we summarize it like that? Yeah, I think, yeah, yeah. It, I mean, there are different takes, but definitely, yeah. I, and I think, you know, the, the participation, protection, and prevention, mm -hmm. and then maybe, you know, the prevention part is the one that has been lacking the most, I would say. Um, mm -hmm. And if we focus a little bit on the third one, the participation of women in the adoption of peace agreements. Mm -hmm. um, the general report of October 2020, so quite recently, from NATO Parliamentary Assembly stated that, and I quote, recent studies indicate that female participation in peace agreements makes them 64% less likely to fail and 35% more likely to last more than 15 years. So from your point of view, how are women in particular making the difference during peace negotiations? That's an excellent question. And perhaps it's not so much about the actual gender women, but more about which constituencies that women very often represent. Mm -hmm. And if we, you know, if peace agreements include civil society actors, the peace also tends to be more sustainable. And women's organization, being part of civil society, constitute a really important actor in civil society. And very often is rooted among broad uh, groups of women. And I also think that we have what we have seen is that women's participation has been shown to improve 
mission efficiency, you know, like UN missions and provide better access to local communities and also enable better promotion of human rights and protection of civilians. And there's, you know, lots of research and studies also that show that there's a greater chance that the agreement will be implemented once it's signed and done, uh, if women are part of our formal signatories as well. So I do think that it is, uh, it, it does make a difference if women uh, are part of the peace negotiations. Yeah, and I guess it also gives more legitimacy to the peace agreement if both part of society, women and men, are involved in the peace agreement process. Exactly. And as has also been shown, like I said, that women tend to also be, you know, have a connection to their constituencies. Mm -hmm. So what they bring to the table is that there are many more people that actually want that and then afterwards are willing to work to implement the peace agreement. So it's on many layers, mm -hmm. including women and having a more diverse group negotiating yeah. peace agreements. Yeah, that diversity is always, always the key, exactly. I would say. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but the, the thing is, on one hand, so we have this statement, right, like that in the 2000 resolution, and as you were saying it, this idea kept being that if we involve women in, um, in peace agreements, it improves their quality, their legitimacy, and so on. But then in 2010, and you will maybe let us know if it has changed, um, the Gvina Foundation stated that 585 peace agreements were signed between 1990 and 2010. 84% of these agreements made no reference to women and 92% of peace negotiation participants were men. So here, my question is like, why do you think women were and are still to a certain extent excluded from prevention, conflict work and peace negotiation if it's, um, if it's a benefit that has been recognized by everyone? Yeah, well, that, there you have definitely the $1 million question. <laughs> and I think the very short answer is because of discriminatory structures, because mm -hmm. of patriarchy. And as you say, we know that there are so many areas in society, and not just when it comes to peace negotiations, that would improve and that are improved when women are included, you know, in everything from health, climate, environment, finance, mm -hmm. uh, progress, everything. But there is still, you know, such a resistance because these structures, these patriarchal structures constitute such a strong foundation of societies. And they are seen as natural, uh, you know, and really hard or almost impossible to change. And I think that at the end of the day, the structures stake because of men who are afraid to lose power because that is what it's about, you know, you talked about diversity and the importance of it, you know, and if some people, you need to share that power, you know, the end result will be better for everyone, but, you know, if we bring more people to the table, there will be more voices heard. Definitely. And we know that of peace negotiations, the only thing, the one and only thing, and, and usually one of the first things that the two fighting parties can agree on is that no women should be included in the peace talk. That seems to always be the one thing that they can agree on. And I think that, you know, it's, it's not too much of a stretch to say that women are often dangerous to men with power because 
women have nothing to lose. Hmm. So they speak the truth. And we see this at that, you know, our partners in conflict affected areas, they, they do not only challenge the gender order, they also speak up against corruption and the lack of democracy and against authoritarianism and the exploitative industries. And we can see it now, you know, just look at regular mainstream media. We see in many countries that women are now on the front lines of people's protests against dictatorship and, and other injustices in society. Women stand up when the going gets tough, women get going, you know, that's something that's for sure. That is true. So it would be like women maybe have a broader vision of what a peace agreement should be, not only about uh, the military part, but in a more have maybe a broader vision of it, including other aspects uh, such as gender equality within the peace agreement, or as you were saying, fighting corruption and so on. Mm -hmm. So maybe, yeah. Maybe yeah. that's also something challenging the very meaning of what is a peace agreement and what yeah. it must include. Yeah, the challenging the meaning of how do we build sustainable uh, societies, mm. which is something I think has been very blunt and clear now after a year of COVID-19, yeah. uh, that the militarized structures uh, have not been able to create security for people but rather looking at the social welfare systems and security systems that societies have, you know, have people been able to get support from their society now in this very exposed situation. So I think women tend to bring a different view on sustainable peace and security to the peace table. That is well said. <laughs> and would you say still that the resolution as itself has been a step towards more participation of women or it has been inefficient or yeah, what is, what is your point of view on the actual implementation of this resolution? Yeah, well, I, I think that it's fair to say that 1325 has created a platform for many women to continue their struggles from. It's been and it is a document that they could have in their hand, uh, you know, when they bang on the doors of the powerful men and the decision makers. And, you know, this paper gave them the legitimacy of, you know, saying that actually they were obliged to listen. You know, this was a document that came from the Security Council. And I also think that it has helped women organize both in and across different countries to, you know, to join in and fight together for a seat at the table and more inclusive processes. But as most things in life, nothing has come for free uh, and the work to achieve more inclusive peace processes or more influence will be menaced to civil society in peace building processes is still an uphill battle uh, every time. We have not reached a point where this is a no-brainer that you know that is mm -hmm. something that just happens it's still a continuous struggle to get that foot in the door yeah just as gender equality is still exactly. unfortunately today exactly. <laughs> all right so we have the resolution as a tool now and talking about um, being involved in this you know fighting this um, inequality in the participation in peace agreement what do you think is the role of organizations such as the Foundation Gvinna in that process? What can they actually do to improve the situation? 
Well, uh, Kvinna to Kvinna has always worked with a broad perspective on women, peace and security. You know, that is about getting more women into peace negotiations and peace processes, absolutely. But also a broad work for increased equality and women's rights and security mm -hmm. in societies affected by conflict. So it's not just as simple as getting more women in. And we know that women, if, if it's even possible to speak of women in, as in one group, do not exist in a vacuum and women are not a unified group. So if you want a stronger women's rights perspective on a peace process, you must also invest in building it from the ground up and work with issues of women's political participation in general, just like you mentioned, gender-based violence and women's economic right. And that is the work that Kvinna to Kvinna does with our partners, in addition to our advocacy works, work on women's rights toward different institutions. So could you tell us a bit more about, let's say, the last achievement of the organization regarding that matter? One that you would like to highlight to illustrate a little bit the activity of the foundation? Yeah, well, uh, the work on the ground uh, that my colleagues and our partners do on a daily basis to promote peace, I would say that it's too vast to be able to give just mm. one example. And it's also very often the tireless work of small, small step forward over the years and sometimes decades that result in lasting peace, you know, rather than a singular achievement, regardless how much we would like that, you know, for it to be. But I can say that I'm very proud that Kvina de Kvina always works with a starting point in the priorities of the incredibly brave and smart women in our partner organizations in conflict-affected countries. That's always where we start, with the women on the ground, in the communities, who of course best know what's needed for them and their communities at that point in time. And last year we launched a report looking at the Women, Peace and Security implementation. And in that report, right. we, we interviewed 91 women peace builders and women human rights defenders on their views on 1325 and their messages and recommendations. And, and I think that is the kind of enabler that Kvinna to Kvinna finds it so important to be, to connect these women from different countries with each other, but also to bring their voices to uh, decision makers and the people that are in power and that focus on peace and security issues every day. All right. And um, I wanted to know a little bit more what you think could or should be put in place to implement the resolution more efficiently. Do you think that other actors uh, should be more involved? And if so, how? Yeah, well, uh, like I said, you know, this report that we did last year, we call mm -hmm. it a right, not a gift. We could see that there was one perspective because we asked that specific question to the women peace builders that we interviewed, what was missing? And the perspective that many women peace builders lacked in the discussion uh, on women's participation in peace building was the economic perspective. And both from the perspective that women still lack a lot of basic economic rights in many places uh, on a global level, we know that women only have 75% of the economic right that men has. And in some countries, the number is as low as 50%. And this, of course, makes them very vulnerable and hence not able to be able to participate in peace work to the same extent as men. From the perspective uh, that women and local civil society in conflict contexts have very little influence over the economic decision-making that affect their communities and societies. 
And this, when it comes to some actors that could do more, uh, this lack of influence also includes then the huge investments that international actors make in countries post-conflict, which rarely has a gender perspective or enough of a gender perspective and can even be detrimental to women's rights. So for a more successful and effective implementation of the Women, Peace and Security Agenda, we need to better integrate the issues of women's economic rights and economic equality to that work. And here we see then the international financial institutions as important actors that could really make a change long-term for a sustainable and secure society and for women's rights, women's security and women's ability to take part in the development of building back their societies. All right, so it's, uh, yeah, we should definitely enable women more from the start. Not, yes. Yeah, not wait for the peace agreements process to arrive, sort of. No, not at all. And also make sure that women are involved in all of the different conversations, in the peace negotiations and the political building of his constitution, but also in the financial decisions that are made about their society, which is a huge impact yeah. and where you know the World Bank, IMF, all of these international financial institutions have a huge impact on the future of these countries. Yeah, so we need to also reshape maybe them and uh, their way of working so that we have more an integration, more effective, I would say, integration of gender Definitely. within those structures that are, yes, as you said, very powerful today. Yeah, and inclusion of civil society where women's rights organizations are a part. Mm. And so do you think that in general we are evolving towards more gender equality and gender perspectives integration in both conflicts and peace building? Well, <laughs> the, I would say that development and the trends globally are very polarized. Mm -hmm. uh, on the one hand, we have a UN system that have taken big steps in the last couple of decades to move forward on gender equality and women, peace and security. We have some countries have announced that they have a feminist foreign policy and the UN Secretary General himself, you know, says that he's a proud feminist. Mm -hmm. But then on the other hand, we also see that there are a lot of countries that are moving in the other direction, including countries in the European Union. And we find ourselves in situations where even the word gender is becoming a dangerous word and allies, alliances of conservatives and nationalistic forces are working against women's human rights. So I would say that it's a two-sided picture uh, that we see. And as I said before, no gains on gender equality will come for free. Mm -hmm. So we have to make sure that women's rights organizations that work in conflict contexts or women's rights organization actually that works all over the world have sufficiently supported that are sufficiently supported to carry out the important work that they do for peace also when the democratic space for civil society uh, is shrinking. So yeah, I think that there are two clear trends that kind of go against each other. That's where we are today. And, and do you think that this trend of going against women involvement in those processes is kind of a reaction to women taking action in this sense? Like, would it be a counteraction to women actually involving themselves more and using this resolution and the other tools to yeah to act by themselves and against uh, the structures that are today in place 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a that's a theory that's brought forward. You know, mm -hmm. that's that that could be seen as a evidence that you know the women's movement are actually you know pushing the agenda forward. So it's becoming a threat mm -hmm. to the current structures. So that might very well be true. But that also, I mean, we know that it is powerful and very resourceful, you know, structures that we are going up against. So making that acknowledgement, I also think that we can expect more resistance and a stronger pushback, meaning that those actors, those countries, those institutions that really believe in gender equality and women's mm -hmm. rights must be ready to, you know, to stand strong and, you know, increase the support to women's rights organizations in, in conflict-affected countries, but in general all over the world, because we know that uh, a strong women's movement is actually you know, the number one priority if you mm -hmm. want to make change in a country, if you want gender equality to increase, and if you want violence against women to stop. A strong women's movement is the most important thing. That is very much true. There are so many issues we could talk about. And uh, yeah, we've been focusing a little bit more on the participation of women in the peace agreements processes and their involvement. But is there anything you would like to add? One point that seems really important for you to stress? I think that then that would be in line with what I just said, you know, the importance of uh, women's right to organize, the importance of women's ability, you know, to take up space. And that is important on so many different levels. You know, it's important on the individual level for girls and women to be able to make decisions, you know, have the power to decide about their own bodies. But it's also important from a democratic uh, perspective, the importance of women's voices and gender equality being included in building back a society, regardless if it's post a pandemic or if it's post conflict. So I think that is really something that we need to, you know, keep an eye on. And it's something that we need to focus on making sure that these women human rights defenders that are very often very exposed that they can do the work and that they have strength and energy to do the work that is so important for them, but also important for their societies and peaceful societies in the future. Yeah, definitely a lot of work to do. And it's a, it's a process we will follow very closely sure. to see where it leads, hopefully in the right direction, at least yes. the direction towards more gender equality. Yes. So thank you very much, Petra, for accepting our invitation. We were very pleased to have you today and to discuss with you about those important issues. So thank you very much again. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you so much. That was Petra Andorf dotterman the General Secretary of the Gvina Tirgvina Foundation on Women, Peace and Security. This has been On Human Rights. For more information on the latest updates on Raoul Warrenberg's Institute work, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn and Twitter. Thank you for listening.